I'd like to thank you for inviting me on the show. It's such an honour to be here and I'd just like to say that when I'm not playing Xbox with my mate Thor, I really like to listen to my favourite podcast, Pop Culture Pasta. Hey Doug! Doug! Oh, that's right, Doug's dead. Pop Culture Pasta So Cody, um, I know you're in deep, deep, just the deepest mourning right now. I am. Because iCarly got canceled. For a second time. (laughs) It was rough after the first time. We did not need a second one. I would occasionally see commercials for it as I was watching Friends on Nick at Night. Um... Was it like grown up now? Like they were in like, it looked almost like a drama. Well, I mean, they did grow up. I mean, Miranda Cosgrove didn't stay a teenage blogger. Granted, yes. Right. And it ended on a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Was it about young love? No, it was about her, her and her brother, Spencer, their mom. We were finally going to get to... Find out who their mom was. Oh, so have you been watching the new iCarly for the last three seasons and know that answer to that question? I did not. Oh, okay. Because I wasn't ready to pour myself back in. (laughs) And now it's gone. (laughs) Cody, it was too soon to be hurt again. It was too soon. And yet somehow they managed to dig deeper and hurt even more. Maybe you'll come back to uh, those last, last three seasons. Someday, when you're ready. When you're ready. We don't want to rush you into anything. Yeah. Um, I also would have to reactivate Paramount Plus. Now, I'm confused by the Paramount Plus thing. Is there? Is it on another streaming network, too? Like, do you get that through Hulu or Prime? So you can get Paramount on Hulu and Prime. Okay. Or, but they have their own streaming app, too. Yes. I, I can't keep them all straight, man. But Max also you can get on Prime <laughs> as well. Yeah. But Max has its own app. Mm-hmm. Well, so I have Max. I've had Max. So I don't know if I'm sure I've told this before on the podcast, but like I've had HBO's whatever live H- since it was HBO Live way back in the day when it first came out. And so for years I was grandfathered in at like this $4.99 a month cost. Until, like, just this year, they finally raised the price for me. So it was your fault that Warner Brothers was potentially going under. I'm pretty much the reason for the entire strike, I'm sure. And because of I got Max so cheap. That was it. We <laughs> solved it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, hello. Welcome. This is Pop Culture Pastor. My name is Dave. Cody's here. In a state of mourning. In a state of <laughs> lamenting he's, he's here and he's very sad and uh it's late it's it's la- it's late at night we're we're recording a little bit later than usual it's the end of our day and um maybe you're listening to this at the end of your day and just we just want to say what a pleasure it is that uh first of all that you made it through your day we're happy for that we're trying to trudge through <laughs> for you there's a feeling of like when you're at the end of the, your day I I always think, just maybe it's because I have a microphone in front of me, uh, but I'm feeling a little sentimental, and I wonder how many people are just barely holding on. How many people are just trying to get to the end of their day? I'm singing closing time in my head. Yeah. 
I mean, he's singing 90s hits. Yes. And so if that's you and you're listening to our podcast, uh, welcome. And we have special feelings for you all who are just trying to get through your day and we're you're making us a part of it. And so thank you for that. Uh, Cody, we just got done with our hundredth episode extravaganza. Yes. Shockingly, no LeBron James on the pod that episode. No, we did not have LeBron, but uh, we did have a lot of guests, a lot of listeners, a lot of the geeks of the round table. And it, um, by the way, y'all have responded in kind. It was easily our best week of the pod ever as far as downloads. And so thank you for that. Even though we weren't able to get Jamie Lynn Spears. <laughs> You all tuned in, and we're thankful. What is your dream <laughs> podcasting lineup as far as, like, just drama and fun? Like, to me, it's like, I want Jamie Lynn and Brittany, uh, but also I want JoJo Siwa and her mom and Candace Cameron Beret. And let's just have us a round table now. Um, that would be mass chaos. Only if my dear friend Lindsay Lowen was here. <laughs> Most listened to podcast ever. Joe Rogan, get out of here. We, it, we would blow everyone away. If we got those people in a room. Kick rocks, Joe. That would be amazing. JoJo Siwa's mom wouldn't do it. She's got her own podcast. She'd be like, I'm not doing that for your podcast. I wonder if our people reached out to her people and we did an exchange for an episode. Yeah, I'm thinking she's not going to buy that. <laughs> I don't think we're big enough. She's like, what do I get out of this? I'm like, pfft. To talk with me. We're pastors. <laughs> we'll, we'll help you. Anyways, uh, so because we had our 100th episode, Cody, we, it's been a while since we've been like in the news. We've, we haven't really delved into pop culture news. Uh, so there's just so much news. Yeah, we figured we'd dive into some pop culture news. And, and really, that's what this whole episode uh, is going to be about. Because later, we, we do have a guest uh, Taylor, Taylor's going to come on, Taylor Johnson. Oh, I thought you were going to say Taylor Swift. No, no, not Taylor <laughs> Swift. Slightly but different Taylor. Taylor Johnson's going to come on. We're going to talk a lot about the strike, um, among other things. But since you brought up Taylor Swift. America's sweetheart. <laughs> is she? She is. Uh, she's very popular, isn't she? As a fellow 1989er. I know sweethearts and I know America. So listen, I knew who Taylor Swift was, obviously, before all of this. Uh, but I'm also a Kansas City Chiefs fan, so I watch the Kansas City Chiefs football games. And I've been on this like roller coaster ride of, well, learning, I guess, more than anything. And just seeing, it's really uh, absurd. I think you can, I think the right word is absurd. When talking about how big Taylor Swift is, um, she's some, gigantic, and I don't mean physically. I, I was mean, going to say she's like five eleven or six foot. No, she's dainty, but she's—I mean, her persona is so huge. Some say not big enough. Do you think that she's affecting the way the Chiefs play on the field? Um. I think my friend Patrick is trying to prop up my friend Travis a little bit, maybe forcing some throws. Otherwise, nah. Yeah. I worry that maybe just the the celebrity 
just atmosphere of Chiefs games now if it's a little distracting to the to the team because they haven't played particularly well yet this season. Um, that's a fib. When what? When the Bears? Well, literally, they took them out at the start of the third quarter. How did? How would you know if they played well against the Bears or not? The Bears are so bad. It was thirty-four to nothing. I know, but the Bears are really bad. But the Bears almost beat the Denver Broncos, who are supposed to be a defensive juggernaut. The Broncos are also really bad. <laughs> so, anyways, moving on. This is not a sports pod. But it can be. We're talking about the Taylor Swift effect on everything. Um, Travis Kelsey, who, first of all, I think everything about, I, I find myself smiling when they show her in the booth. And I made a joke on my social media about them showing her too much, but it's secretly, I really kind of like it because I think it's sort of adorable. I think it's sort of adorable watching her in the booth. I think they can pick and choose the moments a little better. They probably could. They probably like, you know, uh, taking a picture while she's smiling and Brittany Mahomes is not smiling and then saying everybody hates Brittany Mahomes. Like, stop that media. She was stop eating that. chicken. <laughs> I don't know why the Chiefs, the Kansas City media hates Brittany Mahomes. Because all she does is help kids and the Kansas City area. Yeah. It's terrible what they do to her in the media. Anyways, um, I just, I find myself really intrigued by the celebrity stuff. And boy, did it just reach a crescendo this past week in New York. Because not only was Taylor Swift at the game, but she came with with an entourage that included, you know, pretty much everyone involved of the make with the making of Deadpool 3. Well, you're leaving out my dear friend, ex-Mrs. Joseph. Jonas. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sophie Turner was there. Sophie Turner was there. Game as well. of Thrones fame. Maybe she's going to be in Deadpool 3 and you just don't know it yet. Uh, rumor is T-Swizzle is going to be in Deadpool 3. Deadpool 3 is going to be dealing with a lot of multiverse stuff. And so, um, uh, what's her name? Say her name again. The red-haired lady. <laughs> the red-haired lady. Sophie Turner. Dude, you know my brain doesn't work very well uh, on the fly. I, I'm just saying I think Taylor will be the Dazzler. Yeah, that's what they're saying. They sh and that's, oh, by the way, that's a perfect cameo. Yes, have her be Dazzler. I think Sophie Turner may appear as Jean Grey, the Fox Universe version of Jean Grey in Deadpool. So I think everyone in that booth was probably involved with Deadpool 3 because you had Ryan Blake. Reynolds. Blake Lively is involved simply because Ryan Reynolds is her husband. She may have a bit part. You don't know. I I don't like this Blake Lively slander. Hugh Jackman was there. Uh, so anyways, it was just really cool. Like we are, I, I, I think I texted you and like, we're totally America's team now, aren't we? Um, which is funny because America's game of the week had the Cowboys and America's old favorite team, the Patriots. Yeah. But and, no. and now we have moved on from Tommy and Giselle yeah. to Patrick Travis and Taylor. Yeah. Being the true uh, America's team means you have a bunch of people across the country that dig you. One, because people are front runners. They like winners. And the Chiefs are going to be winning for a long time, as long as they have Patrick Mahomes, because he's that good. Um, two, the Taylor Swift effect. Now we've got uh, tons of people on board who are not particularly football fans or have been, uh, but the Swifties. 
They're they're super loyal and super devoted, which means I guess now they're Chiefs fans. Where those of us that were Chiefs fans and Swifties before are now living out our <laughs> Hannah Montana moment. It's the best <laughs> of both worlds. Cody is in paradise. Exactly. Uh, but let's talk about the Taylor Swift effect because Travis Kelsey was not an unpopular guy in the NFL. He's one of the best players in the NFL. Hosted his, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. His jersey, was though, was not in top 10 in sales until that first game Taylor Swift showed up to. Uh, and then they went out on that date, which was well publicized. There, A lot of people got pictures and videos. By the way, I just want to say before we move on, they look kind of adorable together. Like when they're walking around, they look kind of awkward, like high school kids who are, who are quote dating. Like they're not sure if they need to, they wanted to hold hands or what. Didn't they look that way to you? It looked sincere to me. It looked sincere. I don't think it looked awkward, yeah, but a, most of the NFL had already acknowledged Travis Kelsey as the best tight end, but no one buys tight end jerseys unless you are a Chiefs fan in which during the 100th episode, Justin, John, and I were both wearing our Super Bowl Travis Kelsey jerseys. That's true. You were. So and we were on the bandwagon long before. Yeah. And and honestly, uh, Kelsey, is he's a high-profile guy. He has a chance to be involved in Hollywood-type stuff after he retires. He could be the next O.J., now wait a minute. That didn't. No. Work. Let's not. Let's not. Let's not compare <laughs> compare El Travador to the juice. Um, so let's let's look at this. Travis Kelsey was one of the top five selling NFL player jerseys the next day, as he should be. Uh, saw a nearly four hundred percent spike in sales. Woo woo! Throughout the Fanatics network of sites, including NFLShop.com. And that that is still going on. Like there's Swifties buying Kelsey jerseys. I myself might buy another one just for kicks and giggles. I, and Do it for the culture. Now here here's what's hilarious because some people have thoughts, oh. including the people on the View. Th that was the people I was most concerned with. So what are their <laughs> thoughts? So Sarah Haynes, who I don't know if Sarah is is she a, new to the View. <clears throat> No, she's like a she's like a director or a producer. She's not oh, one of the main people. Okay. Um, Sarah Haynes is like that's not Whoopi or Joy. Oh, maybe she is one of the hosts. Anyways, they do this podcast like it's behind the scenes. They call it behind the table. Huh? Huh? That's witty. <laughs> so clever. <laughs> it's almost as clever as the view itself. Ayo. <laughs> But they do this uh, behind-the-scenes podcast where they kind of talk about what, they, what they're going to talk about, right? And apparently there was an argument. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, of, of what they were going to talk about because someone, like the executive director, said, you should talk about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. And Sarah Haynes was not for that. Oh. She was not down with them talking about a, pup, a planted publicity stunt. Oh. She said on this podcast uh, that they were having a disagreement about which current events to discuss at the table during that day's telecast, which led to Haynes being upset with the one who wanted to because um, 
it, she doesn't think it's real. She thinks it's a publicity stunt. Now, I just don't get that. Seeing the video of them and the pictures, like, again, when I say they looked awkward, it looked like two people who kind of, who really like each other right off the bat but don't know each other yet. So for me, I was hoping my dear friend Sarah was going to say, I don't want to uh, make the do re me off of a new relationship. I don't want to be one of those people that report the smut and make capital gains off it where I, I get it. If the, her first game was the jets game in New York, in New York yeah, for multiple reasons. But the big reason, cause this is the thing that she came to Kansas city, which yeah. ain't exactly the, the LA of the Midwest. Yes. But the big reason that it would have worked out more if for a publicity stunt, if she had just done New York is now when you type in Taylor Swift in jets or jet, it brings up that game instead of her having the biggest carbon footprint, according to Greta. <laughs> so that would have been, that's like deep, deep, deep conspiracy thinking that is man you went deep there i'm pretty impressed with that um so she went on to say this she said this this person on the view quote i can usually find something but i'll let you know when i don't care this is a pr stunt this whole thing and i'm just not that interested in it because it feels like you're giving air to a publicity stunt she doesn't need more expensive concert tickets that are hard to get um what do you agree with that take what I think my dear friend Sarah just did was a bit of a publicity stunt to rake in the views on this podcast that I didn't <laughs> even know existed. Right. <laughs> and so now I'm talking about this podcast because she's like, oh, this is clearly a publicity stunt, even though they keep hanging out. You can say that they're not in a full-on committed relationship, and I would be like, yeah, you you might be right. But to say that, oh, she's just doing this, so then she gets extra attention, and she literally just had the biggest concert tour in, like, North American history. Right. So that's what I think of when you're like, what? Why? Kick rocks Beatles. Does she need more publicity? She's literally the most famous person I think I've ever seen. She literally was like, oh, truck drivers, you did such a great job. I'm just going to throw money at you. Here you go. All the money because you did a great job bringing my stage all over the United States. Serious question. I wish your wife were here. Is Taylor Swift bigger than Elvis at his peak? Is she? I mean, she is, isn't she? So I think that she benefits because of the multiple layers of media that exist yeah. now. Um, so like I would say Elvis is the initial phenomena and it's hard to compare like that phenomena with someone now. It's like comparing Wilt and Michael Jordan. Mm. Yeah, good. That's a good, actually, very good comparison. Like, I assume Wilt was just a beast, or everyone Wilt was playing against was pure trash. But, like, I wasn't there. There really isn't that much video of Wilt. Mm -mm. And so 
it's hard to say, but everyone's like, oh, no, Wilt was a beast. So The View did not um, talk about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. You want to know what they did talk about? Please enlighten me. So I want to remind you, they did not talk about Taylor Swift because, quote, it's all a publicity stunt. Here's mm. what they, here's what aired on The View that day. Um, the same person, uh, Sarah Haynes, uh, attempted to morph. The, I, I'm just reading this from the article. Oh, okay. Attempted to morph into a, a part of male genitalia. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of them posited a theory that gay people can identify each other through scent. That was a discussion. And uh, another one said uh, another skit or something had Minnie Mouse locking someone inside a wind tunnel of chaos. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Well, well, I mean. <laughs> I, I don't know what the view is like. Usually back in the day, they would talk about relevant things and just have like off the wall takes. But like. That has nothing to do with anything in the realm of news no. or pop culture or even. Uh, granted, those are a few of the more ridiculous things. They probably did talk about some relevant things, but it's funny that she's like, oh, we can't talk about that. That's obviously a PR stunt. And then later on, they did something where she apparently tried to morph into, you know, a piece of male genitalia. Um, because what? It, and I'm like, isn't this daytime television? Like, what are you doing? What? Why aren't you morphing into a Power Ranger? If you have morphing technology, you morph into a Power Ranger. <laughs> Anyways, just wild, wild stuff. Um, and I love how everyone's got the opinions about uh, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. It's wild. Live your best life, kids. Uh, let's move on. We haven't talked about our friend Martin Scorsese in a while. Marty! <laughs> Cody's dear friend. Marty Scorsese, which only his friends call him. Yes. He did an interview here a couple weeks back, and we didn't talk about it because we had so much going on, but we should talk about it now. He did an interview with GQ, and like he does, he's he explained how Hollywood was changing. And he said in this interview, quote, well, the industry is over. You're right, Marty. Oh, my goodness. I, already I'm triggered. I'm I, Anyway, I'll, let me read the rest of the quote. In other words, the industry that I was part of, we're talking almost, what, 50 years ago? It's like saying to somebody in 1970 who made silent films, what do you think's happened? He, he goes on to say, I think there will always be theatrical because people want to experience this thing together. But at the same time, the theaters have to step up to make them places where people will want to go and enjoy themselves or want to go and see something that moves them. Well, okay, I understand what he's saying there, but I don't think you can also. I don't see theaters and theater chains as the people that are the movers and shakers of this industry. I like people talk about their high prices and stuff mm -hmm. of like the concession stuff. And I think that's because they get charged so much to be able to display these movies, I feel like they're just doing what they have to do to survive. And I think the pandemic proved that. I mean, the pandemic almost took every movie theater chain out of business. Allegedly. Oh, are, are you alleging there was some sort of conspiracy? 
I love a good conspiracy theory. <laughs> and I would say that a lot of the big motion picture companies, going to drop a name, Warner Brothers, Disney, um, they have streaming apps. Mm-hmm. And if you get your movies on the streaming apps, then you also don't have to pay out box office bonuses. And yeah. it affects how much residuals you have to pay to other people. And uh, it might help the bottom line. And so is there a conspiracy? Maybe. But also, just like with silent movies, uh, the way we take in cinema has changed. Yeah. No one really cares to watch a silent movie anymore. I literally watched one that just came out on Hulu um, that was kind of about aliens. Wait, wait, wait. A silent movie? Like, Uh, that was made recently or an old movie? No, it's new. But, like, there's not a script. There's no dialogue. There are sounds, so it's not completely silent. But, I mean, like, there really isn't. The main character says one line. How come I haven't heard about this? That's so intriguing. Um, Was it worth watching or no? Did it work? So it kind of did, but then like at the end, you're like, okay, so this wasn't necessarily a metaphor, but it kind of was. Was it like a Cloverfield thing? The uh, found footage or what? No. What's going on here? Um, it just follows this girl and... There's just no dialogue. Nobody says anything. Yeah. And you. That's interesting. What was the name of it? Do you remember? Oh, it's okay. If you I remember. know that it had um, the the girl from um, Justified that uh, was with the Bennets, that the orphan they took in. Marge? Madge? What was her name? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm that wasn't names, the girl's name. So. <laughs> It's all good. I will look it up. And yes. as you talk about what my friend Marty actually said yeah. after I alleged the conspiracy. Well, he moves into, of course, superhero stuff because that seems to be his arch nemesis. And he said um, he also explained why he believes the dominance of superhero films is bad for the future of movies. He said this, quote, the danger there is what it's doing to our culture. Call them out, Marty. <sighs> because there are going to be generations now that think movies are only those. That's what movies are. Now, come on, Marty. Marty just sounds like an old guy here. You know what he sounds like? You're, you're going to know. You're going you're gonna to go, yep, as soon as I say this. People who say that if it's not a him, it's bad. In church. Oh. He's doing so the same you, thing. You didn't go where I thought you were going to go. By the way, the the girl's character that I'm thinking of, um, I should say her given name, Caitlin Dever, but she was Loretta. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No One Will Save You is the name of this movie. Oh, I have heard of that. Yes. And so, like, she doesn't utter dialogue throughout the whole movie except for one line. Interesting. So it's kind of silent-esque, but there's noises and there's music occasionally. But no one takes in film like that anymore. We demand sound. We demand explosions, graphics. (laughs) Yes! um, Superheroes. 
according to my friend Marty, because that's mm-hmm. all that we can make anymore. Yeah. Okay. But, but Marty, he's falling victim to like the old person trap, right? Like he just doesn't understand it because it's new and different, and therefore it's bad. That's what he's doing, right? It's the same thing with people with church people and hymns. And then they're like, oh, this contemporary music's bad. It's not like hymns. Hymns are solid. We should sing those in church. And be like, hymns were contemporary ones too, and people back then hated them too. So um, I actually worked in a church that had within their like early bylaws that they didn't want the pipe organ, which is like a staple of very traditional cr- uh, Christian music now um, because it was circus music. <laughs> and so, yes, I thought you were going to go with the Alan Moore comparison. Mm, he's got a little of it too. Cause he's like, well, comic books are meant for kids. How dare these adults latch on to them and us keep trying to make them more adulty, uh, even though he might've made like, a literary masterpiece with the watchman that definitely wasn't geared towards your typical first grader. Yeah. You know, Alan Moore does it for a little bit more from uh, you know, he's an, he's an artiste, right? And he, you better not say he wrote comic books because he, I'm sure that dude would correct you. He wrote a graphic novel. Right. Right. So his comes, and I think Scorsese comes from a little bit from that angle too. Um, I will say, Marty, I don't know what you're complaining about. Your new movie looks great. Oh, it does. It looks good. And I think people still want that. That's the crazy thing. It's like the same people who love Marty Scorsese movies, but also love comic book movies, didn't watch all those comic book movies and are like, no, nah, I think I'll pass on Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. No, man, I want to go see Killers of the Flower Moon. It looks amazing. I'll be watching it my anniversary weekend There you go. Um, So he says this, Scorsese said this. I want to zero in on this. Uh, Theaters have to step step up to make them places where people want to go and enjoy themselves or want to go and see something that moves them. What I find interesting about that is I don't know many other movie theater experiences I've had where people were as moved in, in a couple different sequences of Avengers Endgame. Those might have been the most moving experiences I had in a movie theater. I had a guy sobbing right next to me, which took me out of maybe shedding a tear because the guy was sobbing so loud. (laughs) Wait, what part? What was he sobbing? When my friend Tony was going on to the other side. Mm, When when Stark was uh, sacrificing himself. Spoilers. If you haven't watched Endgame, that's on you. Uh, And my friend Marty, probably. uh, Scorsese, also in that conversation, revealed his love of cinema was linked to suffering from asthma as a child. And he had, like, he, it's, it helped, uh, it helped this loneliness that he had inside of him. And I want to be like, yeah, me too, Marty. It connects people. Right. That's what it is. And some people did that for your generation. It was different kind of movies but i want to say to him like there are some kids right now who the superhero movies are saw are filling that space for them Mm. and i mean literally you gotta think there's so many different types of movies and so many different genres like 
the supernatural, uh, scary movies, they still have super diehard fans and they go out in droves. They're setting more records for like those specific genres and literally a biopic that's three hours long was like the third highest grossing movie this year. Yeah. That I think Oppenheimer proves that Marty Scorsese's sky is falling. Rhetoric is untrue. You just gotta, you gotta step up your game. Like the thing about comic book movies that are, is there's not a lot of, I don't need to bring a lot of attentiveness and, um, yeah, you know, I don't need to bring, I don't need to bring my entire attention, attention span to enjoy a superhero movie. So I wish I was a little bit older. I wish or, I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. Nope. <laughs> um, but I like, or that Marty had spoke on this in the nineties. I, I want to know if he did. Because in the late 80s, early 90s, you get people like Stevie Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme make a killing. Yeah. And like those movies, yeah. I mean, you go back and watch them, you're like, well, they're kicking butt. Well, I'd be curious to know what Marty thought of Westerns. It was clearly a fad piece of cinema that pretty much died out and you still get one here and there when someone has a cool idea mm-hmm. uh, but not like during its height and someday comic book movies will do that where it this will die out eventually not totally where you'll still have some here and there but it'll be like the same track yes and right now you really have two studios pushing the the comic book movies and one of them Made a killing off of it. The other one nearly died because of it. Yeah. But is about to rise from the ashes like a phoenix. Yeah. So, anyways, I'm not feeling mad at Marty. I actually feel kind of pity. Um, is this the interview that he did the the Chris Nolan line? Yes. Yes. <laughs> My friend Marty. He makes me LOL. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, he said, well, we should just be celebrating people like Chris Nolan. Because he was thinking Oppenheimer, not like, you know, the dude that did the Dark Knight trilogy, one of the best comic book movie series of all time. And comic book experiences of my life. Um, yeah. Memento was terrific. Like, I can go through Nolan's disc or, like, complete yeah. movie uh, and, and it, it's, it's amazing. He, yeah. he doesn't miss. I understand what Marty is saying, but also Christopher Nolan isn't just the best mainstream filmmaker. No, he's like one of the deepest, most thorough and detailed and brilliant filmmakers active in any genre. Mm. He, he, when he makes a movie, it's a must watch movie. And I don't even like all of his movies, but I can, t but it's never because, oh boy, they hustled through that one. They didn't really pay attention to that one. No, they're super detailed and super deep and thick. Um, the prestige highly underrated. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, I understand what he's saying, but also that guy did, you know, superhero movies. Um, 
one last news thing. Your your friend Mark Paul Gossler was in the news. Hey, I have a picture with him. <laughs> Hopefully do. this is good news. You guys are total buddies. Well, he was on the Pod Meets World, the Boy Meets World rewatch podcast. Yeah. He was a guest in there and um he's he has his own pod called Zach to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> where he's going through and talking about some of the old Saved by the Bell stuff. Um, I'm hoping he points out that Zach Morris is trash. Yeah, well, he was talking about with that with the good stuff that he, when he went back and started doing this, that he'd have to talk about some of the dated stuff, some of the stuff that wasn't so great. And and he, he basically pointed out that there's one uh, episode where he, he says, I quote, basically whore out Lisa Turtle. <laughs> the yeah. second episode ever he says i charged people to kiss her without her consent that and he said that was a tough one um so he his character like there's a time he dresses up as an indigenous person and then like oh, no. <laughs> sprays oil all over people and gets upset about um which is weird to me that this is supposed to be like in a luxurious part of California and oh, there's like oil on the school land and <laughs> Zach has to take a stand. Zach also uh, like makes fun of a homeless guy in a mall and then falls in love with the homeless guy's daughter and then uh, almost develops a heart, but doesn't quite get there. And Zach's good people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that's got to be pretty cringy. But I don't think, I think when people do this, when they go back, especially to that era, 90s and then the 80s before it, and they're like, man, these people were terrible. And therefore, this is terrible entertainment. I, I think what they don't understand about the context is, yeah, none of us were under the impression that Zach, Zach Morris was a good dude. He was my hero. <laughs> um, that might have been, but you knew he wasn't right. So... I love Funny or Die because they have like a whole series of videos called Zach Morris is Trash. Yeah. And they dive into why Zach Morris is trash. And like everyone else on the show at least has something redeemable. And usually Zach does not. <laughs> and so like it's done from a place of jest. And I love it. Like, oh. We can all go back, laugh at that, and then enjoy the fact that, oh, back then the worst thing that could happen to you is getting addicted to caffeine pills. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before with Friends, the show Friends. And again, it's like I said, the same thing. It's like, yeah, none of us were under the impression that any of the six main characters were, were awesome people. I assume Rachel's the best. No. No, they all have moments where they're just do terrible. They're terrible. Is it because Rachel took up smoking at one point? Not as much as Chandler. Chandler was a closet smoker. He's a chain smoker. Mm. <laughs> all right. Uh, we've talked about news enough uh, for us. It's time for us to go talk to this week's guest. Uh, we're going to go uh, meet him uh, on the phone. So you know what that means, Cody. I do. Cody, to the geek phone. The geek phone. We're on the geek phone. We made it. We <laughs> we did it. Go, pack it in, folks. We're done. That was a lot of effort. Uh, no, we're on the 
the geek phone with our friend taylor johnson taylor welcome hi how you guys doing and we're pretty good um yeah we're, we're thankful that you decide to accept the collect phone call that's <laughs> right <laughs> I was surprised, you know, I thought like a hundred episodes, that's a good time to call it quits, you know, just like wrap it up. Let's call it, but like, no, let's keep going. 500, 600. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, Cody, I don't know why I had to out us like that. Tell everyone <laughs> the geek phone calls collect. Um, but yeah, here we are uh, with Taylor Johnson. Now, Taylor is a uh, a pastor like us, Ooh. but also Taylor's been a comedian. Is that, is that right, Taylor? Yeah, I, I traveled as a stand-up comedian, uh, performing and doing storytelling in a bunch of different venues. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a big part of my life, and I'm very passionate about comedy, and I, I really love doing it. Yeah. So just to be clear, are you, are you, do you still do some of it now or no? I do. Uh, every once in a while. I mean, it was crazy. I was traveling full-time uh, up until uh, 2020. Uh, January of 2020 is when I started to have the conversation about becoming on staff at a church, not realizing that in a couple of months, my entire job would disappear. Cause I was like <laughs> traveling as a school assembly speaker and doing stand up and, and speaking in different places and like literally, yeah, it all just like shut down. And it's like slowly, like as things have gone back to normal a little bit here and there getting to do it again. But I, I do love it. I mean, just like any sort of live performance, I really, really love, um, which is like part of the thing with like the strike that happened. Uh, I was like looking forward to like, oh, if there's no more like movies and TV, what what if we just got like a whole bunch of like live entertainment? Wouldn't that be great? It'd be amazing. We're doing Shakespeare in the park. That's right. <laughs> But like Ooh. even I feel like you saw like a couple of like comedians or late night hosts who once they realized like, oh, this might be a while, like a lot of like live show dates. So like I saw like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler were going to do a couple of dates and Seth Meyers and John Oliver and a few other people. And I was like starting to get excited, like, oh, let yeah, let's all let's stop recording everything. Just come to us for a little while. That would be awesome. Yeah, it's just kind of the, it's maybe like a throwback. Of my friend Marty would appreciate it. <laughs> Marty Scorsese. We talked a little bit about Scorsese in the oh, news right, right. I didn't realize you guys were on first name basis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, he's close personal friends with Cody, as wow. as they are most people. Yes. Uh, people that know people. <laughs> so Marty probably appreciated the throwback possibilities there. Um, so what was it like on the road? Because I'm assuming so you've been a Christian, right? Is that, yeah. is that correct? And so like, what's it like on the road? Cause I assume, you know, um, I guess I get a vision of you doing like comedy clubs, but you said you were doing some school assemblies and things like that. Uh, what, what was it like being in some of, some of these different places where, you know, you, you being a Christian? Yeah. Um, I mean, for the most part, a lot of my touring and traveling, uh, when I was in my twenties was really focused on like that kind of like quote unquote Christian comedian performing at churches and that sort of thing for, for a really long time, which like was enjoyable. And there was a lot of really good stuff from that. Cause like, yeah, it is nice to do comedy, get people laughing. Everyone's walls come down. Everyone kind of gets comfortable and you can start to like talk about things that 
you might not normally be able to talk about, but because you got people laughing, uh, that was so like doing that in church is like, I really, really loved that. But there is also like a thing. I feel like all of us, like, I don't know. I feel like entertainment in the church world, especially there's kind of like an attitude of like, Oh, that, that was good enough. Yeah, that was good enough. Mm. And I was starting to get a little insecure about my material. Like, is this like church funny or is this like funny everywhere? <laughs> and one of my favorite things that I got to do was there was a storytelling show in Dallas, Texas, that was kind of like an open mic, but a little bit more selective in who they picked. They would have a theme every month and just any storyteller who could find a story from their own personal life that fit that theme uh, would get up and perform. And it was so great because a wide variety of people would perform at this thing in Dallas. You would get an 18 year old Starbucks worker who tells a story about Chuck Norris coming into his Starbucks and he loses his mind. He's so excited about this moment. And then the next woman who gets up is in her, uh, you know, late sixties and she's a part of the Dallas opera and her opera friends came and they're eating fancy cheeses out of a picnic basket in the front row. And it's like, what, what a wild place that I am performing at. But I loved getting to like, okay, can I take material that I performed in churches and perform it here and like, see if it's actually funny. And like mm. that, that was always so great performing there in those settings, have people enjoy it. And then afterwards people finding out that I am a Christian, I perform in churches because I think it kind of like went against what I think most people's expectations are of like what it's going to look like if you get Christian comedy. Oh yeah. I definitely have a thought in my mind because I've seen some Christian comedy and like it borders more on the cheese factor. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you're able to perform without, I guess that barrier of, Hey, I'm a Christian comedian being the first thing they know about you and them just getting to take in the material. Then you're able to have a good open conversation about various things, including faith. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we all kind of know the topics that Christian comedians talk like Christian comedians. You got to talk about Chick-fil-A. You got to yep. talk yeah. about homeschool kids. You got to talk about how <laughs> if you have a cat, you're not going to heaven. Like these are <laughs> the safe Christian comedian jokes and like going outside of that to like stuff that you don't have to belong to a church in order to find funny. Like, yeah, I, that was, that was very exciting to find. Like what, what is universal? Mm. Yeah. I do like the, the comedian side of that. Cause my problem with most Christian quote unquote Christian entertainment is it's designed to make money off of Christians. It's not mm. necessarily what Christians um, would find the most interesting. So the easiest example of that are Christian movies where, you know, so much of it is made to make us feel good about being Christians. But then like, I think the people that actually make the best movies are the ones that make the testimonial ones. Uh, so you got those brothers who made the, the mercy me guy story. And then yeah. the, uh, the Kurt Warner story where they're highly testimonial. And sometimes the people in the, in the movies, they were <gasps> in a bar. Mm -hmm. uh, they said one bad word. <laughs> <laughs> Darn you, Kurt Warner. <laughs> How dare you? Um, so yeah, I think about Christian comedians and I think, Oh, that's, that's sort of, uh, that's sort of cool. Uh, that you're out there trying to make Christians laugh. And then granted, you gotta, you gotta stick to the the place, but then you're out there, you know, trying to expand it and being like, can clean comedy uh, tickle everyone's funny bone? 
And so there, there's actually an article I wanted to to run by you. It came out today about oh. uh, Nate Bargatze. Oh, yeah. Is, am I saying that right? Yeah. Nate Bargatz? I don't know how you say it. No, Bargatze. You got it. Okay. So he's launching. This was a, a release today. Launching the Nate Land Company, a family-friendly content company that promises to entertain audiences of all ages. Uh, the Nate Land Company comedy or company will feature comedic content on its YouTube channel, including stand-up comedy, special sketches, scripted content for film and television, podcasts, music, and more. Podcasts, you might need to call us. We're people that know people. The Nate Land Company is committed to producing high-quality content that inspires and entertains while upholding values of respect, kindness, and inclusivity. Uh, he said, quote, "With a, we will focus on laughter, heartwarming stories, and relatable characters, and we aim to foster meaningful connections and provide positive experiences that families can enjoy together. Wow. Yeah. So what do you think about that? I, I kind of like him. I think he's hilarious. No, yeah. I love Nate Bargatze. And even like, I remember 10, 15 years ago, listening to podcasts and interviews with comedians and so many, like not quite unanimous, but pretty close comedian after comedian would talk about how much they respect and look up to Brian Regan yes. because of what he is able to do and still remain clean. And like, I felt like such insecurity as like a quote unquote Christian comedian of like, oh, and will I not be respected? Will I be like looked down on if I can't do all the things that everybody else like quote unquote is allowed to do? But like, no, all these comedians like look at Brian Regan and they're like, man, it's incredible what he's able to do with the limitations that are put on top of him. And like Nate Bargatze is the same way where like, I don't even think of Nate Bargatze as like a family comedian. Like, I don't think of it as like, ah, oh, the whole family's going to, I mean, like we could, and it would be, we'd be able to laugh at it, but like, it doesn't feel like he's sacrificing anything in order to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've seen him do some routines that I would say are more adult themed without like, he's not giving you a bunch of bad language or anything like that, or talking about anything explicit, but he talks about his relationship with his wife. And, you know, so there's some things that, that are definitely aimed at adults more than, you know, just a family oriented affair. Uh, but so I've seen him talk about stuff like that and he's just, he's a funny guy. Dude. Funny I do guy. feel like that is, that is a great point. That is like, uh, when, when it came to like performing in churches, that was a delineation that was like always, cause like, yes, this is family friendly. I'm not going to say any bad words, but can I talk about death? Mm. <laughs> and like, so like to say like, mm -hmm. maybe don't bring your kids cause there's going to be some like more adult themes. But then even when you say like adult themes, it's like, what are you going to be talking about? And it's like, well, I mean, maybe there's like some heavier stuff, but, uh, but still like finding humor throughout it and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's just wild, there's wild areas when it comes to the church. They're like church minefields. Yes. Mm -hmm. And within different denominations, there's different minds to, to trip over. Yeah. So not growing up in the church, I still think it's super weird when there's some churches but like, no, you don't wear a hat in a sanctuary. And I'm just like, well, why? Yeah. I, I read nothing in the Bible that would say uh, that would uh, say to me, Hey, don't wear your hat in the sanctuary. There's something disrespectful about it, but there's clear. It's clear. Some people think there's something disrespectful about it, but I don't really know why it's just kind of one of those things.
And so I think the, yeah, the tr- don't bring your coffee in the sanctuary. No. How dare you? A man, John Piper. Although I, I was he joking? Was he not joking? Did you see this? Taylor? I don't think John no. Piper has a sense of humor. So, <laughs> you, oh, wait, guys, talking about humor and John Piper, have you seen the scariest clip of public speaking I've ever seen in my entire life of John Piper in front of the National Christian Therapists? Is it conference? the seashell sermon? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, wait. Uh, it, John Piper is in front of uh, a a group, Christian counselors, 8,000 Christian counselors. And it is the most bizarre clip of him starting his sermon. And he's trying to be incredibly serious and humble and like thoughtful as he's getting into it. But the Christian counselors who are there think that he's telling jokes. And for five minutes, he is continuing to be like, no, 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 guys, I I don't know why you're laughing. I'm trying to be vulnerable with you. And they continue to laugh. And it is the wildest disconnection between the person on stage and their audience. If you look up, John Piper gets laughed at by 8,000 Christian counselors. That is (laughs) my worst nightmare of uh, what it is like as a public speaker. That sounds so awkward. I will say that like counselors, therapists, and even pastors um, have, now I don't know what he was talking about, but like they have a gallows sense of humor Mm -hmm. that like some of the more morbid things that tend to be more vulnerable, people just start chuckling at. And especially those that are in more caring fields especially if it's an environment that they know they can at least let go a little bit. Yeah. People get uncomfortable uh, when, when the pastor gets vulnerable, I've noticed that they don't want to, they don't, they don't want to think that you're struggling just as much as they are. Boy, the things get really quiet in the room. I know when I'm in with my youth and I'm saying, like, Hey, I struggle with this too. And everyone's just like looking at me like, well, that's not cool. Well, <laughs> I don't want to tell you I'm human. Quit playing Marvel Snap so much. <laughs> um, okay, so Taylor, um, you've you followed the strike pretty close. I'm to understand uh, the yeah. writers, the writer strike, the actors strike. Um, why don't you explain the strike to us like we were five? Holy yes. moly! Um, well, I think one of the craziest things about this strike is that. The WGA, the Writers Guild, and the Actors Guild went on strike at the same time for pretty much close to the same thing. And that has not happened since Ronald Reagan was president of the Actors Guild. Oh, wow. How That's long, how ago long was it's that? been? It was like, man, I think in the 30s or 40s, I don't know, some crazy, a long time ago. Uh, Wait, have been after that. Does um, that mean does that mean Fran Drescher's gonna be president of the United States someday? The nanny. <laughs> it's happened before. If we follow the pattern, President <laughs> Fran is gonna be 47, 48. I don't know. Oh man. I'm, uh, I'm here for it. The I, I know that so the the writers uh the writers guild agreement with uh the a lot of the streaming services and a lot of the companies that make up uh, the major studios uh, 
ended and they were not able to negotiate an agreement. And a lot of the sticking points had to do with residuals for streaming services, since streaming services never want to reveal their numbers. And when with television, you you get paid by how many times your episode is shown. And so, like, if you wrote an episode of Seinfeld, you're always getting paid because it's always on TBS. But on a streaming service, they don't have to they don't have to do that. And and then AI was another big thing for both actors and writers of studios wanting to kind of like have free range with AI to be able to write scripts, edit scripts, to be able to uh, take background actors and uh, duplicate them and not no longer like, let's find a way to use as few human beings as possible so that we can make as much money as possible. And so for over a hundred days, actors and writers together uh, were on strike. The writers have reached their agreement. The actors are probably close behind, uh, but a lot of the, a lot of residuals um, and a lot of to do with like, what, what is AI going to be allowed to be used for? Uh, which I think is like a really interesting dilemma. And it was so interesting to watch because it felt like for the longest time that the studios and the companies like Disney and, and Netflix, that they did not want to budge on anything to do with AI. Like other things like, yeah, well, we don't even want to touch that because it seemed like just like it's for them, like what a wonderful tool to not need people anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I did see that this, like bubbled up in an interview with Zelda Williams, Robin Williams' daughter, because they were wanting to use Robin Williams' voice and likeness uh, with the help of AI for future projects. And she said, no. Well, of course she would say that. Like who would want that as a, as a, a related someone or a loved one of someone who's passed away? Like who would want that? Now, if you as the actor, like Mark Hamill with like Luke Skywalker, if you said, sure, if you want to continue with the stories, use my voice, my likeness with AI for like animated stuff in the future, go for it. Like if he signs off on it while he's alive, I don't have an issue with it. But like once the celebrities done passed away like yeah it's it's kind of creepy very creepy yeah um so yeah part of what you mentioned in there i want to go back to the streaming numbers because so we we had the nielsen's for television where uh whatever system they used they could kind of approximate how many millions of homes or whatever were watching certain certain things. And so there were these numbers that everybody trusted. Now with the streaming numbers, it's not like Nielsen's has a division, I think that does that. Um, But I don't, it just seems like nobody knows what there's several different outlets and some of them are less trustworthy than others as far as how they collect the numbers, but mostly, and I I read this somewhere and I want to run it by you to see if you've heard anything about this or whether it's something you would agree with. I heard that a lot of the problem with the streaming is, is that aside from Netflix, all these other streamers are, are hemorrhaging money. They're not making money. So Disney plus is like just losing money like crazy. And the problem is, is they keep these numbers super secret. Um, the, the, the studio heads are not going to admit to that because of what it would do to the stock price. And therefore 
the the premise that the writers and the actors were working on of like hey you're you're not saying you're losing money so we assume you're making money and we should get a part of that is like is not even real it's not true and, and so it's this kind of catch 22 of like well we're not saying we're losing money but we are and since you're not saying you're losing money we're assuming there is money where is our cut is have you heard anything about that or is that do you think that's real or is that just something that no, somebody yeah is- yeah yeah i think i think that that is i that's that is definitely a huge problem with like streamers that you know netflix uh i feel like it was the first one to come out with just like this they they are losing like the, this this business plan does not work right now it is just like pumping money in to get as many shows on these you know original programs and the stuff that they're buying and the licensing that they're doing uh to like hopefully get to the point where it is profitable like so many of the like you know startup companies that you know for the first like couple of years like they're just like hemorrhaging money and then eventually can get to a point where they're good but it doesn't seem like it doesn't feel like anybody has actually figured out how to make money off of streamers because like so many ways that we would make we i'm not a part of this industry so many ways that they would make money like disappear like think about like dvd sales like oh Mm. if a movie was a big flop when it was in theaters but then like like fight club fight club is a perfect example that movie did not make barely anything when it was in theaters but the moment it hit vhs and dvd it became this huge cult classic and like there are movies where it got a sequel because they noticed six years later, the DVD sales were through the roof and they didn't realize how many people were actually into this thing. And, uh, so I definitely, yeah, I think that that is uh, like revenue, revenue streams are less when they go to streaming. But then I think at the same time, like there is enough information out there about how much money the higher ups of these companies are making every year. Mm. even though the company's not necessarily making money. And I think like a lot of the the actors and writers are like, okay, if you get to make that much money, yeah, then then could we spread that around a little bit? I actually think that's the one, the one area where they have a super legitimate point is like mm. the CEO of, of Disney, for instance, uh, the money he's making, does he really have that much impact on that company? Right. Like, I just, I just can't believe it. I just do not believe that these CEOs have that much of an impact. No, I don't like, even if they're making good decisions, I just don't believe it. I don't believe they're worth that much to their company. Um, but uh, so these, these streaming networks compete with each other and they're competing with each other by like, cause they're trying to get people to sign up with their streaming network. So they're just pumping out uh, the shows and, and to the viewer, I think we've, it's, it's all, it's all super watered down now. Like we literally do a podcast on pop culture. I can't keep up with all these shows and we lose good shows because not enough people can watch them. I liked, there was a show on Netflix called the OA, which oh, I love. Dude! Oh dude. Yeah. That was dude. Yeah. Dude. Change the subject of what this podcast is about. We're going to talk about this for the next nine hours. That is my favorite show. Well, you could, it was that kind of show where it was like the, the mystery of it uh, was the best part and it was super deep, but, it, it, then they canceled it. And because... Phyllis from the office was getting work. But now I don't know where she's at. We need someone, to find some, her. Someone, is... someone give Phyllis work. <clears throat> I'm sorry, no, Taylor. Yeah, 100%. 100, and, and especially, I feel like the OA was one of the first shows that also like kind of revealed 
oh, Netflix has kind of got a, a little bit of a system here where they've realized most shows that they make for streamers stop being as profitable as they can be after the second season. So like so many of the Netflix shows were getting canceled after the second season, no matter how passionate the fan base was or how critically acclaimed it was. It was just like, okay, it's eventually will become diminishing returns unless it's like a stranger things, but every other thing it won't make as much money as possible. So let's just get rid of it. And then you get all these shows that are half finished fans that are upset and like now, like I have trust issues. I don't want to right. get into a show unless I know that yes. at least there's like something satisfying or it's going somewhere or it's going to last. That is exactly, I think, what's happening. That That's how exactly how I feel. Cody's always telling me all the time, you need to watch this show. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Mm -hmm. That What was the show you got me watching uh, with the, the, the writers of Lost? Oh, From. From. So yeah, he got me watching from and it still remains to be seen whether that was worth it, but at least they're still making it, you know, although it's gone two seasons now, if they end it now, then that'll be a bummer because it ended on a ginormous cliffhanger. I'm really hoping that Apple keeps severance. Oh yeah. Yeah. Severance is fantastic. What a great show. Have you, what did you watch severance? Taylor? I, yeah. Severance. That's another one I really love. Yeah. I do think streaming has been great for entertainment like that for entertainment like the OA because like, like, look, we were always going to like stuff like stranger things. That's a no brainer. We, we dig entertainment like that. People do. Um, but I think what streaming really opened the door for was this really original um, writer and producer specific, like allowing them to put their vision on film. And so you see, you see things like the OA, which I would be, I would have a hard time explaining to someone, well, what's it like? Well, I don't know. Cause I don't know that I've ever seen anything like it. There's a lot of hand gestures and stretches. <laughs> I'm trying to explain it with my hands on a podcast. Yeah, and, and, and I think streaming has been great for that. Cause we get shows um, that, that allow the creators, especially from the net like side of things allow them to do like the truest version of what they wanted to do a true version of their vision um but then that problem comes up of like oh yeah i really fell in love with that show and then you canceled it yeah another thing i think we get a lot especially on netflix uh it feels like sometimes like we you get a lot of these mini series and it feels like some of the miniseries were written as a film. And then Netflix was like, can you like add, Ooh, can you yeah. like fill it out a little bit and we can mm. get six episodes out of it. And then you get this miniseries where it's like, this is a great premise, man. That first episode was good. That second episode was good. And then you're like that third episode. Did we, did we really need that? Yeah. And then the fourth yeah. and the fifth one's good. And the sixth one's great. And then like it ends and like, it just feels like, no, let's, let's pad this out a little bit. Yeah, the the weird like, oh, it's the third episode and this would have been the second part of the second act, but now it's an episode and it's one that's completely filler that's just yeah. tying some things together. I don't know if you'll allow my inner Scorsese to come out. Oh, <laughs> I yeah. think that's a lot of problem with the intellectual property stuff series, specifically on Disney Plus, because like we just got done watching Ahsoka, uh, the Star Wars show, and in a lot of ways, uh, the guy that did it, I think, 
put to, did a masterful job of like catching the the kind of the fantasy and the wonder that made Star Trek so beloved. Star Wars. Star Wars. Oh, man, sorry. I was just gonna let him yeah, do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. 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 Star Wars made Star Wars so beloved. But here's my problem. The problem is, is most of that content feels like it's designed to keep me watching the next thing instead of completely and utterly telling me a story. And so as much as I love the Soka, there's a part of me that's like, ah, yeah, but I feel like it didn't really tell me a story. It's just all connective tissue. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, no, that is a great point. I think the IP stuff lends itself to that problem. And it's been interesting to watch Stranger Things in that way, which I think they benefit from being able to tell their story the way they want to tell it, but it's not immune to it either. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think? When will the actor strike in? Man, I don't know. I like, I feel like it has to be soon. I like that. That, that is the thing. I, I feel like it was much easier for me to follow the writer strike because of the podcast that I listened to or the people that I follow online were pretty heavily involved with that. But like, like I, it was just weird. Like even being able to tell like, Oh, this person is heading up the strike or these people are, you know, a part of the, the um, negotiation uh, committees. But like, as far as the actors guild, like I, I do not know nearly as much. Um, mm. And so, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it has to be soon after, like uh, uh, if you reach one, I don't know. I, I have no idea. So I do have a question from a news article I read um, this week about um, the, the writer strike ending and uh, writers returning, especially to like the daytime talk shows and stuff and Drew Barrymore being a scab. Mm. what are your thoughts on scabs slash like would you pass up a guaranteed payday to to prove a point that we don't side with scabs yeah the talk shows are a different animal yeah yeah i mean it the it's tough because like with the the writer strike that happened in 20, 2009, I think 2008, 2009, one of my favorite thing that has ever happened was Conan O'Brien coming back during the writer strike. And I, and I think it was enough time had passed. And I think several late night shows were coming back at the same time uh, without any writers and Conan's show was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Cause it was just like, here is a man who is so silly and funny and has to fill an hour all on his own without anyone's help. How is he going to come up with enough stuff to do? And so like he would take his wedding ring off and spin it on the desk just to see if he can beat his personal record. And it would become riveting television every night. Or he got really into building a zip line from the top of the audience all the way down to the stage or putting his desk on a forklift so that he could drive it. Just like the silliest, the silliest stuff. And it was just so much fun. And it was like, this is unhinged and it is, he's so free to do whatever he wants. But I also don't know, like, what was different about then from now? Like, I don't know fully, I wasn't paying close enough attention back then, I don't think to know like, why was it okay for some late night shows to go back then? And then with Drew Barrymore and Bill Maher 
both of them like tried to come back during the strike and then mm-hmm. like immediately we're like oh never mind we're sorry oh well like yeah in the in today's day and age of you know social media murder mm-hmm. where assassination where people will just jump all over you yeah. like it was weird it was just strange to watch that happen especially like drew barrymore who you know as far as we can all remember is just one of the most beloved figures in hollywood yeah, yeah. it's like a oh, little true from et everyone loves true even when she was in her wild child crazy face everyone loved drew barrymore and so that was just kind of weird to see her get oh man she's getting piled on yeah and the, she's the, not technically i think it was there's some sort of loophole that that technically they weren't a part of all that am i am i right or yeah it, i it was like a weird it doesn't count as entertainment or is it as a talk show is it news but if it's news, why do you have like TV writers? Why don't you have journalists as your writers? Like that was a lot of the arguments that I was seeing from people uh, on like, it did feel like trying to really, really push a loophole. And, and I think a lot of the, the, the writers and the actors on strike, like the big refrain that they keep saying, kept saying was like, we all need to feel it. We all need to feel it. We all need to be uncomfortable. We all need to feel the pain of it from the most successful people who like, this isn't really for them because they already have the greatest deal and they don't need to work out a deal for themselves. But because of the, you're, you're with this guild with everyone else, like we all have to feel it. And Bill Maher was like, his quotes were terrible. They were like, yeah, I get what you guys are trying to do, but come on, let's get serious. And I was like, yeah, you're very dismissive of this. Yeah, I mean, Bill Maher, whatever. <laughs> He's kind of erratic. <laughs> I was going to say, he typically comes across a little brazen and maybe... I don't know not... what you're talking about. He's the kindest, sweetest, most gentle man I've ever seen talk. <laughs> I love hearing him talk about Jesus. Super empathetic. Yeah. That's how I describe William Maher. It, it, it has been funny to watch Bill Maher like, sell out the people that got him to where he was, right? The people that really loved him. So Because I never really believed he was that liberal. I think uh-huh. he was just kind of playing a part. And that got him to big places. And now he's like, he's getting old enough where he just doesn't care anymore. I don't think about placating them. And so to watch them turn on him has been entertaining for me. <laughs> um, but uh, Taylor, what are you looking forward to? What are we looking forward to resuming now that the strike is over? Because there was a little while there where I was kind of worried. I'm like, oh, this is really Marty Scorsese is going to be worried because this is really going to hurt my comic book movie rhythm (laughs) right that you know what honestly one of the things that i'm sad uh well i mean actor strike has not ended and that's the one that deals with uh not promoting anything because the one thing that i kind of loved uh like a lot of the oppenheimer cast got to give interviews and stuff right before the strike happened but once the strike was in place we got so many more interviews with christopher nolan and like with Killers of the Flower Moon coming out, like I would, yeah, I don't need to hear from Leo. I, we've heard enough from him. We've heard enough from De Niro. Just let Scorsese talk for a while. Like let him shine. That I, <laughs> I would love more of that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's some of for some people that strike came at a good time. Like the people making the Snow White movie. <laughs> uh, those, those poor ladies. Oh my gosh, the best thing ever was for them to be like, I'm sorry, ladies, we're gonna have to keep you away from the microphone for the strike. Yeah. for the strike disney was like i'm sorry it's all it's the strike 
so you technically can't talk about the movie. Thank God. <laughs> and talk yeah. about how you don't need any men to rescue you. Yeah, we get it. Um, yeah, I, I think mostly I was just afraid I was going to miss some some good uh, some good comic book content and pop culture content. Star Wars, you know, I, I don't know if you're a Star Wars guy, but Ahsoka was good. So I'm kind of a little bit back on the Star Wars train. Like, hey, make, keep making some stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, there were a lot of reports apparently before the strikes happened about severance. Uh, I don't know if you saw kind of some word around the street about season two that there was a lot of creative disagreements between the two head writers and maybe the head writers were kind of had disagreements about what the show should be for that season. And then like that the budget was kind of kind of exploding that like apparently things were not going so great as they were working out season two. And so I hope that us taking a pause for a little while is enough for things to get like set back on course, because that is definitely a show for me like that. The the way that I pitch it to people is like, it is scratching the itch that lost left. And so like, I definitely want more seasons of that. I don't think I could handle severance going the West world route. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Like where you do a great first season and then it's just like, and there's a lot of behind the scenes tug of warring going on. And yeah, that, that stinks. I didn't hear that. I hope not because I thought severance season one of severance was fantastic. Just fantastic stuff. Uh, Speaking of the OA, the creators of that show have a new show coming out. Okay. What Uh, do do we know what that's about? It's on FX. I think it comes out this year, maybe. And it is, what is it called? What is this stupid movie or show called? A Murder at the End of the World. It's a miniseries. Ooh. Mm. The title's already intriguing. Yeah. Okay. Well, Taylor, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, We appreciate you coming on and talking about the strike with us and kind of filling us in on the parts we needed filled in and telling us a little bit about yourself and everything. So uh, is there anything you want to, you know, is is there any social media you, you want to draw attention to or anything like that? Yeah. uh, You can find everything on my website, uh, follow Taylor.com. All right. Follow Taylor.com. Taylor Johnson, everyone. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. You are listening to Pop Culture Pastor. All right, Cody. Taylor's Taylor's a good dude, huh? Um, he was funny and delightful. Yeah, a gentleman and a scholar. Yes, and he knows the stuff, and he's just yeah, he's super entertaining. Uh, sometime we'll have to get him back and have him just you know do some comedy for us. Um, Make me laugh. <laughs> He is the official jester of the geeks of the round table. <gasps> Ooh, I wonder I wonder if that he would like that. If he doesn't, I take that back. <laughs> We're just filling out spots in our court. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good show. Just waiting for King James to accept our invite. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. LeBron. Right. That's who we're talking about. Yes. Okay. Just making sure we weren't talking about James Brown because he's dead. Rest in peace. Pretty sure. 
Yes. 88% sure. <laughs> Has been for a while. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Thank you to Taylor for dropping on the geek phone with us. Uh, as always, uh, if you, if you don't subscribe, please subscribe, subscribe to the pod rate and review us. That helps too. follow us on our social media on Facebook, join the Facebook community group. Uh, we're on Twitter as well. Uh, follow us on good pods, subscribe there. Good pods is a, a fun way to follow podcasts and one episode down out of, uh, the next hundred. Indeed. Yeah. Episode one Oh one. We hit our stride. Yes. Yes, we did. Thanks everybody. We'll see you next time.